Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Uh, there is what happens. They're all like, they're all going, oh man, Dave's not preaching. Dang it. You guys doing all right? Well, let me tell you, I am glad to be here. Uh, my name is John Kelly. I'm one of the ministers here at Catalyst. And uh, how many of you guys just enjoyed the worship band today? Did they not do a fantastic job? Uh, if you're new to Catalyst in the last year, then what you may not know is that I was the worship minister here at Catalyst for 11 years. And then a year ago, a little over a year ago, uh, God really laid it on my heart that there needed to be a change in my ministry, and I became the discipleship minister here at Catalyst. And Dave then took over as kind of the, the head of the worship ministry, and everything has just kept on rolling. And I can't tell you how blessed we are as a congregation to have the kind of talent that we do here at Catalyst. I hope you understand that. Um, I was just talking to our children's minister, Jenny Ross, today. It is hard to believe that a church of 200 people has this much talent. And, and God has just blessed this church, and it's awesome to be a part of a church like this. Uh, something I want to talk to you, just tell you about real quick before I get into everything today. Um, take a look around you. See all the pink and red? Hopefully in January it's going to go bye-bye. What we're going to be doing this year is every year we do a Thanksgiving offering. Last year we did the Thanksgiving offering to repair the roof. This year we're going to do the Thanksgiving offering for something a little different. If you've noticed our pews, some of them have cracks that go all the way down the pew. And some of them are coming loose from the floor. And let's just be honest, we are a church that has some gentlemen like myself who are not known as small. And, and, and so... The last thing that we want to have happen as a leadership of the church is to see someone sitting in a pew lean back and that pew happen to break and then fall and land on somebody. And, and so these pews have to get replaced. And if we're going to replace the pews, then we need to replace this carpet because it's just gross. Okay? If you look, especially if you look, you walk in the back and look under the back pews, I'm not going to say what it looks like under the pews. They don't look good. So... We're going to replace the carpet, we're going to replace the pews, and something else we're going to do is we're going to redo this stage a little bit. Uh, whenever we do children's musicals and things like that, trying to get children to navigate this whole mess is a complete and utter disaster. Not only that, my wife, who's five foot two, shared something with me that someone who's not five foot two would understand, and that's during worship nights, if she's standing in the front row of that back section and everybody's standing up to worship, she can't see a dang thing. So we're going to raise the stage up a little bit higher so that it's a little more accessible to everybody, so that everybody can be a part of what's going on. Not only that, we're going to get that baptistry out from the back, and we're going to bring it up towards the front, so when we baptize somebody, you're actually going to get to see the person being baptized, which, as far as I'm concerned, that's more important than how high the stage is. So a lot of stuff going on, but we're going to be taking up a Thanksgiving offering that's going to go towards all of that. And it's just, it's, it's something we're going to do every year now that we own this building and everything that happens in it is on us. We want to make sure we take an offering once a year to put back into this building to make sure that we're going to have this thing for a long, long time. So uh, that's going to be happening in October. But with, before we get going with anything else, why don't we bow our heads in prayer and then we'll get this party started and we'll talk a little bit about what Jesus wants us to know today. Would you bow your heads with me? God, thank you so much for your son, Jesus. Thank you for sending him to die on a cross for us. Um, God, if there's one thing that I hope we always remember, it's that, that the ultimate price was paid by your son. 
to take our sins up on that cross, to remove them from our lives, to separate them from us as far as the east is from the west, God. We pray that we never forget that. And today, God, as we talk about discipleship, as we talk about iron, sharpening iron, I pray that you lay this on our hearts, the need for discipleship, God. Father, we love you, we thank you, and we pray this all in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this has been a crazy week for me. I'm just going to start off by saying that because it started out like any other week. We had Monday staff meeting and work. Tuesday, I have a group of guys I meet with at a coffee shop, and then I have work. And then Wednesday, I woke up and my son had puked in his bed. And he was sick. And we got a call from our babysitter who said she was sick because apparently one of the kids at the babysitters had gotten sick, thus making everybody else sick. So an hour later, as we're discussing how we're going to take care of this, all of a sudden I get sick. And I'm completely down and out for the entire day. And had it not been for an angel known as Danielle Farina, we would have been in a big bind that day because I was in no shape to take care of my children. Then we go to the next day. Jack, our son, is starting to feel better. And our daughter throws up in her bed. So now we have a different child that's sick. John is staying home again. Friday comes along. Ellie's better. Nobody's thrown up. But Jack is running a fever. (laughs) And so Jack is now sick again. Friday night, my wife comes home, and she's sick. Saturday, everybody's feeling like garbage. And I have to work on a sermon that I haven't even started yet because I'm preaching the next day. So, and if you know anything about preaching, you don't usually write a sermon the day before you preach, because that's dumb, okay? (laughs) That's just dumb. You don't do that. So, it's Saturday. I come in and work for about an hour while there's all this amazing smell of food going on downstairs during a baby shower, and I really wish I'd have gone down and taken some of that food. Get done after about an hour. I go home. I uh, watch my daughter as my wife takes our son to the doctor's office, and, uh, She calls me on the way back and says, hey, I'm at the gas station, and the car broke down. So I grab my daughter, actually wake her up from a nap, load her into the truck. We go to pick up the car. We get there. We call the tow truck. The tow truck comes. We get the the car taken to the dealership, and uh, it's now 3.30 in the afternoon. I have a paragraph written of my sermon, and it's the paragraph that says, good morning. I'm so glad to be here this morning. And uh, so that's all going on. It's 3.30 in the afternoon. I'm, I have to finish doing what I was doing at the house before I can come to the church and work on the sermon. I finally get here, and my brain goes blank. I can't think of any. Have you ever done that? Where you're just sitting there, and you've got to get something done, and your brain just goes, I've got nothing. Every, every day. Well, that's where I was. I'm just, I had nothing. I had nothing. And so I finally just... I just go home. I go home. And about 3.30 this morning, thank goodness for the time change. This is such a good week for the time change. I wake up and I finally get this sermon written. But you know what? My kids are going to be better. My car's going to get fixed. I get to preach. And more than any of that, God is still king. Amen? Amen. And so today we get the opportunity to get into the Word of God. So I'm going to quit whining about my day, and we're going to get here and talk about what we're actually here for, and that's Jesus. So uh, 
If this is your first time with us, you can follow along with us on the Bible app. Uh, if you've got that on your cell phone or your tablet, uh, you can click on the more button in the right-hand corner of the bottom, and up should pop a thing that says events. Click on the events, and you should see Catalyst pop up. You can get in there and just follow right along with me this morning. Um, so go ahead and turn in your Bibles, your phones, your tablets, whatever it is you, you're going to read the Bible from this morning, and turn to Proverbs 27, 17. That is going to be the scripture that basically everything comes off of today, and it's very simple. It says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Basically, it takes metal to sharpen metal. And in the same way, disciples can't be disciples or discipled unless it's with another disciple. This is our part of the mission. That's why our main thing today is discipleship only happens when two people are involved and not just one. You cannot disciple yourself. Quite simply, God didn't make you to do this life alone. As early as Genesis chapter 2, we read the, Lord's, the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a suitable helper for him. In Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, it says, And let us consider how we may spur one another toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. In Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 10, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, no one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and no one has no one to help them up. See guys, it's all over the Bible. People working together has always been God's plan. And it's his plan for everyone in this room today. You know, Dave has mentioned it before from the stage, but I'd like to say it as well. It's, it's pretty much impossible to be a disciple of Christ and not be part of the church. When you skip out on the fellowship of believers, you're skipping out on one of the things that makes this church so special. You don't get the most out of your faith when you do it alone, and you don't get all the benefits of what this church and any church can offer. See, the people of this church and other churches that I've been a part of have been there for me in times of need. Just this week, with helping watch our sick kids and loaning Rhea a car, if we didn't have the bride of Christ alongside of us, we would have been up a creek with no paddle. Not only have we been helped but we've been given the opportunity to help others when the need is risen. When God's people are working alongside each other, the church is doing what it's supposed to. And if you're still not convinced that you need to be in fellowship with the church, then I'm going to share something with you that Rob Harlemert and I talk about all the time in the office. I love my wife. I would give anything that I can to make sure she is safe and that her needs are met. I will also defend her against anyone that would try to cause her harm or ruin her reputation. How do you think I would feel if a former student of mine or a former uh, worship team member or one of my community group friends uh, came up to me and said, John, I love hanging out with you, man. You're like one of my favorite people in the whole world. I'll spend time with you as often as I can. But your wife is another story. I don't want anything to do with her. I don't want to be near her. She's a hypocrite. And we don't need her around to be friends. I guess you know what my next response is going to be, right? 
dude, that's awesome. You're so right. My wife is awful. She's terrible, man. No, that's not going to be my response. I'm probably going to rip you up one side and back down the other. And then I'm just going to walk off and forget about you. But you know what? This is how a lot of people talk about the church. And that's the bride of Christ. And yet they can't understand, why am I not growing in my faith? I'm going to tell you the truth, guys. If you want to be my friend, my wife's coming with me. And if you want to be friends with Christ, you better be sure that his bride's coming along too. And when it comes to being a disciple, there's a need for more than one person. You can't do it alone. A few years ago, we did a series on four chair discipling. We had four chairs set right up here, and we explained what each of them were. The first chair was someone who was new to the faith, and pretty much a blank slate, kind of a sponge, just picking up everything as they learn. Chair two is someone who's on board and is still fairly new in their faith, but they're wanting to grow and wanting to learn more. Chair three is someone who's bought into the church and they're working feverishly to get the work of God done. And chair four is the discipler. The person who, who is passing their knowledge and their faith on to another. So before I go any further, which chair are you in? Where do you see yourself? This is an answer you need to understand as we continue this morning. Because today we're going to talk about the cost of being a disciple. Specifically, what is the cost of being a disciple? And what is the cost of being a discipler? As a believer in Christ, whether you like it or not... You fall into the category of being a disciple. And eventually you should naturally fall into the discipler category. So let's take a look at these two questions and let's see what the cost is. First question, what does being a disciple cost? What does it cost to really follow Christ? The first thing it costs is your sin. When Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, a, a group of angry men brought a woman caught in adultery before him. They demanded she be stoned for her sin. Jesus then uttered those amazing words that you've probably heard many times over if you've been a, a believer for long. He said, he who was without sin cast the first stone. Too many times we take this phrase the wrong way. We take it as a comfort that God doesn't want us to be judged by our sin. We hear it said all the time, well, I'm a sinner, but God forgives me. Guys, if that's what you think, you didn't read the rest of the story because the last thing that Jesus tells this woman is go now and leave your life of sin. In Romans 6, Paul says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase by no means, by no means, with an exclamation point. Why are those, are we are those who have died to sin, how can we live in it any longer? When you make the statement as a Christian that I am a sinner, you're identifying yourself wrong. When you make the decision to follow after Christ, take him on as your savior and are baptized into his death, you are no longer identified as sinner, you're identified as made clean. Did you catch that? You're not identified as sinner. You're identified as made clean. Now, it, does this mean you're not going to sin again? No, that's not what that means. It does mean that no longer does your sin define who you are. 
It means that the sins you chose before to live in are now being pushed aside. How many in this room have been saved from addiction? And I'm not just talking about drugs and alcohol. I'm talking about addiction to gossip. I'm talking about addiction to pornography, to work, to video games, to vanity, addiction to money. The sins that we live in are addictions. They're addictions to things that we think can replace God and give us the happiness we so desperately need. But when you become a follower of Christ, your addiction needs to go. Part of the cost of being a disciple is leaving your sin behind you. Remember, you are no longer a sinner. You're made clean. And if we can embrace that, if we can make that who we are, it's so much easier for us to let that sin go. The next cost is one we've already discussed, and that's your withdrawal from the church. You can't be a believer in Christ. You can't be a disciple and not include yourself in the body of believers known as the bride of Christ or the church. If you want to be a disciple, you've got to quit withdrawing from God's people. The third cost is the one that sounds really easy, but we aren't very good at it. If you want to be a disciple, you have to be willing to let go of your despair. Guys, it is so easy to wallow in your own self-pity when things aren't going your way, am I right? Let me tell you how hard it was this week not to do that. (laughs) I wanted several times to just be like, God, like what the heck did I do to tick you off this week? I used to love hearing Dave tell stories about when his daughters would be complaining and whining about stuff. And after he'd hear them talk, he would just look at them and start singing, Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. You know what the best part of that was? He's looking at his daughter's faces after he did it. <laughs> Nobody wants to live every day feeling sorry for yourself. But we all get to that point, don't we? But what kind of life are we living if that's our view of every single day? As Christians, we don't have a temporal worldview. In other words, We don't see this life as the end game. It's temporary. We know there's something to follow. We know that when this earth is gone, when it's all gone, we have the hope of eternity with Christ. That knowledge alone should shape our view of every single day. Just like you didn't intend to go right along with my sermon when you said it at the beginning, but every day is a gift. And we don't need to look at it as something to dread. Romans 5, 1 through 8 says, Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but also glory in our sufferings. What? We glory in suffering? But he goes on and says, Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. 
who's been given to us. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, and never forget this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I want you to notice he said were still sinners. Christ died for us. Because of of Christ's great sacrifice, we have been given hope. It's hope we can boast in. It's a hope that does not put us to shame because that hope is real. God did not let Jesus get on the cross so that we could continue to live like people who have no hope. Jesus died on the cross so that we could live our lives in such a way that the world around us would take notice and they would long for the hope that we have. The cost of being a disciple means giving up our sin, giving up our withdrawal from the church, and giving up our despair. We have to change, and we have to do better to follow after Christ. So the second question, what does being a discipler cost? The first thing it's going to cost is your time. You can't disciple through osmosis. You can't disciple through text messaging, and you can't disciple through really nice cards. You disciple through the giving of your time. Discipling happens over the long haul, and it takes real-life interaction. Discipling can take on a lot of faces. It can be a day fishing on the lake. It could be a Bible study. It could be time at a coffee shop. It could be a time hiking in the woods, which you knew I was going to bring that up at some point during this sermon. It could also be while getting a mani-pedi. I don't even really know what that is. It's like your hands and your feet, but I don't really know what they do. But it could be during that. It could also be sitting alongside someone in their most difficult times. See, all these things are different from each other, but they all have one thing in common— time. And not just time, but intentional time. Truth be told, some of you in this room have been discipling for years, but you never realized it because we've made the church out to be this menagerie of programs. Somehow we've gotten to a point where unless a bunch of people are there and the church is financing it and we get to use the building, it's not really ministry. Guys, The greatest ministry you're ever going to do in your life is not going to be in this building. Point blank. It's not going to be in this building. It'll happen in your homes with your spouse or your children or your roommate. It'll happen in your schools and your jobs. It'll happen in the places you like to hang out the most. See, discipleship happens when we take the time to share our lives, to share our faith, and our knowledge with another over the course of time. And guys, I don't know if you realize this, it took Jesus three years to disciple the disciples. And one of them didn't work out. That's Jesus. Three years. If it took the Son of God three years, then don't freak out when it takes you longer to disciple somebody. Do you realize how many times Jesus got annoyed with the disciples? I mean, I'm going to be honest with you, the disciples were mostly teenage boys, okay? And if we know teenage boys, 
we know how frustrating teenage boys are. I, know, I was one, and I was annoying, and I was frustrating at times. We read all the time in the Bible where, where God's just kind of looking at these guys when they do stuff, kind of going, what are you doing? And I think the uh, Bible term for that is, are you really that dull? Jesus says this in the Bible. Guys, you're going to get frustrated. When you're trying to disciple somebody, you're going to get frustrated, and you're going to think you're wasting your time. But God is the king of the slow play, and we need to be okay with that. We need to be okay with that. We need to be willing to give up our time. The second thing that discipling is going to cost you is your excuses. The Great Commission in Matthew 28 says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Notice, it does not say, therefore, if you're comfortable with it, make disciples. It does not say, therefore, if you don't have any other plans, make disciples. It doesn't say, therefore, if you aren't too tired, make disciples. And it surely doesn't say, therefore, as long as UK isn't playing, make disciples. But I will say, it also says, and it, it doesn't say this, I wish it would, but it doesn't. Therefore, as long as the Buckeyes aren't playing, make disciples. There is nothing more important for us than making disciples. There, there, there is no option for us here. These are our marching orders. These are Christ's last words to his disciples. This statement may be the single most important thing that we were ever told to do by the Son of God himself. Make disciples. There isn't room for discussion on this one. Regardless of the denomination or creed, one thing that all of the church can agree on is that we are to make disciples. But this won't happen if we're constantly making excuses. It's time we quit talking about why we can't disciple and start figuring out how we can. The third cost of discipling is your cynicism. One of the easiest ways to be bad at discipling is to see the worst in everything. This person won't change. This person's just pretending to love God. He's just going to church to get the girl, or she's just going to church to impress the guy. When cynicism steps in, love steps out. Let me say that again. When cynicism steps in, love steps out. Over the past several months, we've seen very publicly the redemption and the salvation of rapper Kanye West. In the world of rap music, he's going to go down as one of the greatest and most iconic rappers of not only his generation, but of all time. In his music career that now has spanned over 20 years, we've seen him go from song titles like Jesus Walks to I Am a God, and now to Jesus is King. Kanye started having Sunday church a few months ago. They were mostly musical services that uh, he would invite his friends to come to. Uh, but those evolved and eventually ended up happening in established churches where the word of God was shared through preaching as well. You see, Kanye hit an all-time low a few years back as his battles with bipolar disorder began to take over. His persona had become the epitome of selfishness and personal worship. And then he found Christ, and his life was changed. Rumor is he's even rewriting a lot of his old songs so that he can perform them without 
the embarrassment of some of the lyrics that he had written. This new album that he just came out with, Jesus King, is a tribute to the God who has changed his life. So, of course, the church is celebrating, right? I mean, everyone is excited that this, that this new man that Kanye West has become, I mean, we're all ready to see the impact he can have for the kingdom, right? Unfortunately, there's a large population of the church that's calling him a fake. People are saying this is all a farce. He's only doing it to make money. I wonder what the early church thought of Paul. I wonder what the early church thought of the Apostle Paul. Because, I mean, before he became Paul, he was Saul, and he murdered Christians, and he would hunt down Christians, and he would imprison Christians. Heck, he was even a guy who oversaw the stoning of Stephen, a disciple of Christ. Could you imagine what would have happened? Paul would have succumbed to the discouragement that he probably faced from the believers of his time. We wouldn't have half the New Testament. There's a good chance that the gospel may have never made its way to Rome. I mean, the church as we know it today would be way different. People, we cannot let criticism blind us from the fact that God saves the most prolific sinners along with the average man or woman. Imagine what God can do through the life of Kanye West or Justin Bieber. Hillsong New York has come under fire by so many because they don't like the way that they minister to people. But there are people coming to Christ weekly there. Celebrities are finding Christ. Famous musicians are canceling their tours because the music doesn't honor God. Yet still, many are waiting for these people to mess up. They're waiting for them to make a mistake so they can pronounce on them, or so they can pounce on them, and let the world know it was all a scam. Guys, Peter, the, the disciple that Christ called the rock of the church, denied even knowing who Jesus was after living with him for three years. He spent every day of his life with Jesus for three years. People make mistakes. People make bad choices. People screw up. It's not our job to keep score. It's our job to live in the hope of the life-changing death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's our job to give grace as well as correction. It's never our job to publicly humiliate or reduce the humanity of someone based on our desire to see them fail. There is no room in discipling for cynicism. If you want to be discipled, you have to give up your sin. You have to give up your withdrawal from the church, and you have to give up your despair. If you want to disciple others, you have to give up your time, your excuses, and your cynicism. However, when discipleship does happen, there's resurrection. See, back in 2002, a very radical new ministry started called Triple X Church. Craig Gross, who at the time was a youth minister, he saw this horrible effect that pornography was having on his students, and he decided to do something about it. Triple X Church was started with the mindset that God loves porn stars. He did something that no one else could believe he was doing. He actually went to sex trade shows. He handed out Bibles there, and he and his team would share the gospel with anyone who would listen. One person who did listen was a young lady named Brittany. I'm going to ask the band to go ahead and come on up. In 2005, Brittany was at one of these, these trade shows to sell her movies and meet her fans. She was a genuine porn star who had made a number of pornographic films. However, 
she became friends with one of the young ladies in the Triple X church team named Rachel. They became close friends, and in 2012, something huge happened. In 2012, Brittany left the sex industry. She couldn't wait to contact Rachel and just share why she quit and what had happened. But the story didn't end there because it never just ends there. Brittany quickly discovered that leaving the industry also meant leaving behind the things of the world she became accustomed to. Big money, material possessions, and yes, even sex. There was a cost, and she gave up her sin. As Brittany opened the pages of the Bible that adorned the Jesus Loves Porn Stars cover, she began to see the pages come alive, and she began to hunger for this Jesus who said he loved her, called her beautiful and chosen. She began attending church every chance she got. Brittany started seeking God's face in all things. She didn't withdraw from the church. She read her Bible for hours on end, doing all it took to know God, which included no dating for a year so she wouldn't be distracted from this new walk she was on. Guys, God took this woman from the depths of pornography and made her a trophy of his grace and blessed her every step of the way. Today, Brittany is married to a pastor, and the two of them are now the directors of Triple X Church. She and her husband are now ministering to people in the very trade that she was involved in for so many years. She now has hope and is sharing that hope with others. She's giving her time. She's making no excuses. She knows there's no room for cynicism in what she's doing because that would have derailed her faith journey. Her life was dead. Her soul was dead. She desperately needed resurrection. And that's what God gave her. It was through the discipleship of a girl named Rachel who was willing to take time out of her life for seven years that Brittany De La Mora finally gave her life fully to Christ. When we become true disciples of Christ, we are resurrected from the depths that our lives have taken us. We are brought up out of the deep to find genuine hope in Christ. Suddenly, we are resurrected from our sin. We are resurrected from our loneliness. And we are resurrected from our hopelessness. The cost of becoming a disciple to be a lot less, it, it, we find that this cost is a lot less expensive when we see what Christ's blood can do in our lives. Discipleship only happens when two people are involved, not just one. As, our, as iron sharpens iron, we need to be sharpening each other and leading each other to resurrection. If you believe in a resurrected king that longs to resurrect us, then let's stand together this morning, together, and let's proclaim that today as we sing. Let's declare the victory of the resurrected king.